Welcome to the Foxy Podcast, bi-monthly show brought to you by Freeform Freakout. The show is produced at KMSU Studios in Mankato, Minnesota, and here on the Foxy Podcast, we try to dig deeper into underground and experimental sounds of the past and present. And welcome to episode number 144 of the Foxy Podcast show. Hope you're all doing well out there, wherever you're listening from. Behind me right now, you're hearing a track called Cradle of the Horizon from Primitive Motion. This came out recently on Long Form Editions, a relatively new series devoted to extended pieces of exploratory, expansive, and immersive music from around the world. Long Form Editions is co-run by Andrew Kadori and visual artist Mark Gowing, who have also operated the excellent preservation label out of Sydney, Australia, for over 15 years. With long-form additions, the two are moving away from the traditional independent label operations and tactics towards what they've termed a collective for deep listening that functions more as a space for discovery. On this installment, you'll hear my recent interview with Andrew, where we discuss some of the motivations and guiding principles behind long-form editions. We also discuss Andrew's work in radio and how that has shaped his ideas on curation. And we discuss some of the artists and releases that have been a part of the series so far, including the brand new set of works that just came out to coincide with World Listening Day. To stay true to the ideals of the series, I've included longer excerpts of several of the pieces that have been released so far, which you'll hear throughout the show. In fact, before we get into those interview segments, I thought we'd start by playing a few pieces of music, beginning with this one from Danny Paul Grotti called Sunrise Looking East.
Well, prior to starting long-form editions, you have also operated the preservation label for a good, I want to say it's probably been, I don't know, 15 years or more, but uh, it appears that 
activity has slowed down a bit with that label over the last few years. So I wanted to ask, is preservation still an ongoing concern for you or have you officially moved on from it at this stage? Preservation is definitely on hiatus, but to me it's still an ongoing concern because we released over 70 albums of music and that's people's music, it's people's art and it still exists and it's still there to be listened to and taken in and hopefully loved. So it's an ongoing concern in that respect and, and people are still picking up on the music um, from the start. We just decided to pursue long-form editions. We got quite excited about the idea and at the same time, Mark Gowing's design business was getting bigger and I was keen to start a family. So we just thought it was a really good opportunity for us to break out of the traditional label cycle and all the elements that that involves, long-form editions, is all digital, so it allows us to be very nimble and it allows us to remove any of the elements such as production or warehouse or distribution issues that somehow can really take up a lot of time in terms of getting a release from, from A to B. So it was just a pursuit for us. And I think with preservation, um, we are honestly reconsidering how we approach preservation. And we've talked about doing some reissues on vinyl every now and then. Um, but at the moment, look, we're really comfortable with doing long form editions. We think, you know, preservation has been going, as you say, for over 15 years. And why not try something else? And we're really excited about this. And this offers us, you know, a lot of different opportunities that preservation probably just doesn't because it works more like a traditional label in, in the indie sense. So, yeah, look, um, we're, we're more excited about long-form editions than not excited about preservation, but that doesn't mean that preservation sort of gets swept under the carpet, if you like. <laughs> right, right. Well, there are certainly similarities, both sonically and visually speaking, uh, to what you were doing with preservation. Obviously, you, you mentioned Mark, who is still doing all the uh, graphic design and stuff for long-form editions. But I, I was thinking of like that Circa series that you had going in particular. There were some similarities with long-form editions. But I, what was sort of the impetus for shifting to long-form editions? You were kind of alluding to a few different things, just kind of practical concerns with your own lives, but also just in terms of what you are releasing now, musically speaking. Yeah, look, I mean, I think it's interesting that a lot of people have, have seen a kind of progression, if you like, from preservation to long-form editions. We kind of see it as wholly different, to be honest. I guess there are some hallmarks of what we do and how we follow our noses when it's come to preservation that you can see in long-form editions. Obviously, the artwork is, is, a, is a big part of that, and um, one of the things that we wanted to do was create a very strong identity for long-form editions, and so we just wanted the covers to be easily recognisable and part of a set, and we developed that idea with the Circus series that you mentioned with preservation where we had a limited edition set of releases and we created artwork through typography that identified each release in a particular batch of releases, and that's mm -hmm. what we're doing here, and we're going to change up that artwork every six months. In fact, the, the next batch looks like we're going to have a, a whole new set of artwork for that. We're just going to keep it fun and interesting for ourselves. But essentially, the idea for long-form editions came about through my own listening habits that I started to interrogate and challenge. I'd been the music director at a radio station for 
the same amount of time that I've been running preservation, basically, over 15 years. And when streaming services came along, I, I kind of saw it as a, as a real convenience for me in my work. But it started to really upset the rhythm and depth of my listening. And I started thinking about that. And I started thinking about the, the way that we live these days. I think we're all challenged by time. And sometimes it's hard to find space. And I just thought that it'd be great to create a series of music that, you know, wasn't just about extended pieces, but extended pieces that just held you in place for a while mm -hmm. and, and allowed you a little bit of space and allowed you to take back a little bit of time and, and made you think about the way you approach listening, which is obviously an incredibly important facet of our lives. And right. The way the way we the way we engage is is a lot through our ears. So I just wanted to create a series of music that 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 looked at that and, and also just create a really great, interesting series of music with artists that wanted to explore uh, what they do in a kind of different realm. I think for them because it takes them outside of their typical album cycle or whatever it is that they're doing and. And and it offers them an opportunity to 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 take what they do into a different space. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, you've said elsewhere that you don't really view long form editions as a label per se, but more as the series or as kind of an online art gallery. And I was wondering if you could just maybe elaborate on on that idea of of this gallery element to it. Yeah, well, the the art gallery idea stems from the idea of, of what the pieces represent. And, and you know, to me, the, the, the pieces are, are, are not just music, they're, they're pieces of art. And what we really thought about when we thought about what we would present with long-form editions, if you go to the band camp, you see all these particular covers there and, and <clears throat> we're asking you to sort of dive in in the way that you might when you go to an art gallery. So when you go to an art gallery, you're essentially making an agreement to enter a space and absorb art and you're going to stand in front of a painting for a certain amount of time and get out of it what you get out of it. You're going to make your own interpretation. It's going to, you're, you're allowing it to affect you in a certain way. And that's what we're hoping for with these pieces of music is that it's not just a transient act. It's something that, that you know, takes you into a into a space and you can take it anywhere you want to for as long as you want to so that's what we what we're thinking of with the whole analogy of, of being in, a, in an art gallery that's how we kind of saw it and look i mean people are calling long form editions because it you know a label because it's kind of you know it's sort of suitable and mm -hmm. we're not really too fussed about it but we do think that it sort of stays a little bit outside of a of a typical label for certain reasons, and it just allow we we just sort of do things you know in in a way that suits us. Um, there are definite similarities to to a typical label, and, and that's fine. We're not too fussed about it, but we're not looking at it as a as a label because I think a label uh, often goes deeper with artists. They they build a relationship with an artist, and they work on on an album more often than not with an artist. And, and then they create a cycle around that album. They might create a press strategy. They might create a tour strategy. Um, there's a whole kind of different involvement that a label has, which long form editions doesn't really have. I mean, we're asking artists to create one piece for us. Uh, we'll get it out to the typical channels for, for review and airplay and so forth. But 
it just doesn't have that that kind of involvement that a label has. So I think calling it a label is is not quite right, but we're not particularly fussed either way. Right, right. Well, let's dip into some of the music here. And I thought I'd play two pieces that really particularly like st- stood out to me of these last few batches of, of things that you've put out. One being from Lao Now, the Finnish artist, and then the other being from Kate Carr. And I was interested in this Lao Now piece because I'm more familiar with her earlier stuff, which was much more in the sort of dreamy folk vein, where this is not like that at all. Quite different. Yeah, that's right. So I picked up on Lao Now on those um, early records. I think one of them was on the Chicago label, Locust, and then she was on the Finnish label, Phonal, as Mm -hmm. well, I think, at one point. Um, And, yeah, definitely came up in that, you know, what they used to call freak folk or psychedelic folk um, period in the early 2000s. But her later work has been really interesting in that it's been quite symphonic um, and had a really interesting drift about it. She's always had that dreamy aspect about her music, but she's developed it in in many different ways. And, uh, you know, the whole idea about um, getting Lowne out to take part was was that, you know, part of this um, series for me almost sometimes like a, has a little bit of a fantasy wish list thing. I've always enjoyed her music and we've just approached people that we, we've always liked and admired and, and perhaps couldn't work with in, in the preservation sense. So um, what she did for us was fantastic. She knew immediately what she wanted to do. She knew when she could do it and she delivered it when she said she would deliver it and it's a wonderful piece of music. <laughs> well, let's check out a good healthy excerpt of it. So this is a piece called Amphipoda, again from Lao Now. Thank you. 
Well, one of the things that should be made clear, you know, even from the opening tracks of music that I've played, is that you're issuing a remarkable range of music. You know, this isn't ambient background music at all. I mean, I know some people will hear long form editions and think, oh, deep listening, this is all just kind of like, you know, background music, but it's not at all. (laughs) So as you're approaching different artists to contribute to long form editions, are you consciously looking for people that work across a broad spectrum of abstract sound making? Are you inviting them to come up with something that maybe branches out from what they're accustomed to doing? Yeah, well, well, as I said, it's kind of like a, a fantasy wish list. So it's kind of three things that make up the criteria of our approach to artists to take part. So we've either been approaching artists that we've already worked with before with preservation. So, for example, Norm Chambers, who mm-hmm. previously recorded as Panabright, he was one of the first people I asked because I thought if anyone's going to produce an extended piece that can really transport you and take you into a different space and, and you know, make a make really something of this idea it, it would be him and his piece is just absolutely stunning i think mm-hmm. um and so we've we've got people like like that that we've worked with prior that we really wanted to take part of the series and continue that relationship because they're just wonderful people that you know we really enjoy doing this kind of activity with and then there were people that like i said we admired um like now now and uh primitive motion uh are a brisbane band who uh, I've known personally for a little while and um, really enjoyed their music and thought it'd be great if they took part in this series. And then there are people that I'm just discovering. I've been using this opportunity with long form editions to spend a lot more time discovering music and online it's a really great way to do that. And so, for example, this latest um, edition that we've just put out for World Listening Day, I discovered a really great artist online called Laura Luna Castillo. and. I just fell in love listening to her music and then I asked her to take part. So it's part discovery, part fantasy wish list and, and, and part familiarity that, that's driving us there. And we're just asking people, it's a very open-ended brief, but to consider you know certain ideas around listening and to create a piece around that. I think that people can take on, uh, in the listening sense, they can take on the track whichever way they want to. If, if it sits in the background for them and works for them in that way, fantastic. But I do think that most of the pieces have a, a deeper purpose than that. They're more purposeful and they can steal your attention uh, in the way that maybe something like a horrible Spotify chill playlist can't. <laughs> right. Well, I kind of want to get into a little bit of logistics here. And if I could have you explain the idea behind having a fixed release schedule where you issue new works from four different artists every two months. And I guess first I wanted to ask about that. Is that is that challenging to maintain that structure and timeline and actually get submissions from artists? Because it seems very, you know, like, you know, set in stone. And I guess, secondly, do you feel like having this almost uh, subscription type model, which I guess is somewhat similar to streaming services is that is that a way forward for for lack of a better word because again you don't consider yourself a label but is that a way forward for labels perhaps yeah i don't know if it's a way forward we just decided that it was a way for us to move forward that made made sense with this project and we we just felt that uh four pieces every two months gave the project a certain kind of heft and substance that we felt it needed to make its mark 
Mm-hmm. And also, we need a schedule as people that we can meet deadlines with. If everything's a bit fluid and rubbery, then you know <laughs> our lives just start to take over. So if, if Mark and I have deadlines to work with, then we'll just be able to get everything done. And I can assure you, we've got loads of submissions. We we're not short of music. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're you know we we're overflowing with submissions and. And the only uh, sort of delightful conundrum we have is is how to put it all together sure. at the moment, anyway. So um, yeah, we're just basically we're just basically um, setting our release schedule so we can make sure that with the you know daily routine of our lives that we get things done and we need to get things done. So you know, Mark and I know when we need to get together, and Mark and I know that you know when we can exchange things via email and just get things done that way and. Um, it's 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 quite easy to put together because once again, as I mentioned earlier, you don't have to deal with other elements such as, um, say, a vinyl production house or a CD production house or a distributor or a warehouse or a printing service or all these different elements that, that go into um, releasing a record in the traditional format style like vinyl, CD, cassette, whatever. They're all out of the picture. So the, the idea of releasing four pieces every two months is is quite fine because you can be quite nimble with a digital only label and it would be really impossible for us to consider another format with the amount of stuff that we're releasing and the length of these pieces as well made it make it really hard to fit onto a particular format easily that would make sense so sure. i i think that um yeah it's 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 just you know to, we're really only dealing with the artists and and that's a really wonderful thing for us. It just makes the the act of releasing music a lot more pure, if you like. So it, it, it's quite nimble for us and, and easy for us to maintain in general. Yeah. Well, you're mentioning kind of the like the positive side of working in the digital domain, but you, you had stated in an article about long form editions. I think it was for Fact Magazine that you and to quote you, you said because streaming platforms are so easily accessible you might not treat the music with as much consideration and care as you would if you spent money on a physical product. So I'm wondering, you know, the releases that you do, again, is entirely digital. So what are some ways that you think you're trying to bridge that gap for listeners without offering a physical product to to have that connection to the music? I think that the way streaming services, those huge platforms are set up, they have a kind of scale that might lead you not to treat the music with the care and respect that it does. What I'm hoping for with long form editions is, is a difference there where we're just creating a small little hub, a reliable space for anyone who wants to listen to a piece of music that is experimental or exploratory in nature but they don't really know where to turn, say, on a streaming service, which for a lot of people is the way that they listen to music to these days. And so I don't need, for example, to, to turn you on to experimental music because you have your, your channels and your ways to discover that. But there are a lot of people who, who don't necessarily know how to navigate that scene, and so they only hear the artists that are sort of you know, crossing over the perimeter, if you like, and being reviewed by Pitchfork or mm-hmm. The Guardian or what have you, you know, and that's fine. I mean, those artists are generally great and making amazing music and they should be 
listened to and discovered, but there's a whole world out there of artists that aren't being foregrounded in the digital uh, domain. And we're just hoping that, you know, we can create a space that people can turn to reliably and regularly to hear this kind of music. And we're trying to make it as accessible as possible. We don't want there to be uh, barriers, if you like, to listen to, be it cost or, or, or access. We just wanted to make this music accessible because we want ultimately the music to, to make its point to people and to have an impact on people. Well, speaking of discoveries, I did have a nice discovery here while listening through a bunch of this stuff, but virtually every release that you've put out in preparation for this. But I had heard the name Cruel Diagonals probably six months ago. I've just seen it popping up, but I listened to her piece and just fell in love with this this music and the piece that she created called Monolithic Nuance. And she's you know, relatively new on the scene, for lack of a better word, correct? Yeah, that's right. Um, I I heard a, a an album of hers called Disambiguation, and I just thought I would really like to ask this person to take part in this series. And uh, uh, working with Megan Mitchell, who records as Cruel Diagonals, it's just been really lovely because she's a very passionate, considerate individual who really cares about every musical act that she takes on and. She's just been so incredibly emblematic of this series. I mean, I think that what's really made this whole series sing is the way that the artists have responded to it with their music. They've specifically gone out and recorded pieces for this series with with the aim of making something great for it. And Megan was really um, one of those people that that just did that to the hilt. And uh, just our exchanges have just been really lovely and, and as I mentioned earlier, one of the great things about long form editions is that you're essentially just working with the artists. So it's a, a really nice exchange in that way and, and, and that exchange with Megan was, was great. And when she turned it her piece, I was like, this is going to be really something that's going to catch a lot of ears and it's really great when a piece like that from someone who a lot of people don't know tends to be one of the more popular pieces as part of the series goes. I mean, we've had some great names take part. People um, know a lot of the names on, on long-form editions. But um, Megan's piece has been one of the most popular, and it's not a competition, but it's just a nice result. Right, right, right. Well, let's, let's play a good part of that piece. Again, this is Cruel Diagonals and Monolithic Nuance.
Thank you.
as we head into this last uh, interview block here, I, I wanted to ask about your time working in radio and, and how that has shaped some of your views of, of curation, both with preservation and with long-form editions. Yeah, well, I work in what's called the community radio sector here in Australia, and I guess the shorthand way to describe community radio for overseas listeners is it's kind of like a cross between NPR public radio and college radio that you have in the United States. And there's over 400 of these stations and they're largely volunteer run, often with a very, very small staff base. There are some bigger stations that have a great impact on on the scenes that they, they work within and so forth. But in some regional areas, for example, they are the only station and they're a lifeline to the community that lives out in those areas. And what we found in the last couple of years is that community radio has reached its highest audience ever in Australia. So in Australia, where we've got, say, a population of around, I think it's 20 million or something, maybe a bit more, but we've got 6 million people who say that they regularly tune into community radio each and every Mm. week for some aspect of community radio. And one of the reasons that they cite listening to community radio is for the music and they want to hear different and interesting and unusual music that they won't hear anywhere else and the community radio network is is really a, a beacon for that kind of activity because there are volunteers who are um, doing programs each and every day and just bringing all sorts of different music to the airwaves and what I found through my time working at a, a larger metropolitan station in Sydney was just how much passion everybody that was doing a program each week was bringing to the airwaves and just the personability about uh, that listening and just uh, that kind of really carefully handled curation. And I, I just think that that it's such a valuable aspect to any kind of music activity that it, it's just so necessary. And, you know, look, streaming services, they have their place and they have their model and that's fine. But but they don't have the kind of curatorial aspect that, say, in this instance, the community radio network has. Um, so, you know, I just, I just find that, that curation and just that kind of human touch, if you like, is really valuable and definitely on a collective level as well, not just one person sort of tinkering around. I mean, I was the music director at this radio station and overseeing all the programming, but it's essentially each program was was kind of running on their own ship. So, um, yeah, just I think it's just incredibly valuable. Right. It, it, it seems like people still want to hear that that human touch. I mean, I know a lot of people get their music through playlists uh, and, and things like that now, but I, th- I feel like with the, the rise of, like, podcasts, for example, that, that there is this craving for... Uh, people and hearing people discuss things and all that. And I feel like, do you feel like some of that is feeding into like the increase in people wanting to hear things on community radio, like a a bit of a backlash against the, uh, the playlist, you know, the innocuous chill playlist that's out there. I'm trying to figure out my head around that. Yeah. I'm, 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 I'm hearing anecdotally that there is, you know, some kind of pushback about, uh, you know, what streaming services have to offer. I mean, I recently just attended a conference in Melbourne and uh, I, I took part in a panel called Living the Stream and there were representatives from Spotify and Amazon and 
And they were talking about music listening in a very different way. They were talking about music listening in a way that, you know, we'll have the playlist for you when you go to the gym. We'll have the playlist for you when you've got your dinner party. So they're looking at music as an accompaniment to lifestyle and they're looking at music as an accompaniment to mood. And obviously mood plays a big part in Mm -hmm. what you choose when you listen to music. But um, I think that when you're working at the scale that streaming services work at, which is huge, you know, they have 180 million users on Spotify, Mm -hmm. then you know, you don't want to throw anything that's potentially a little bit more left of centre into the mix. Well, you don't want to put that to the front. So uh, I found at this panel that there were a lot of people in the audience who were really pushing back against those ideas and uh, I didn't even really need to spruik community radio. They were doing it for me. (laughs) So, um, you know, I think there is definitely a, a, a little bit of a reversal. I mean, I think that there are still a lot of people using Spotify um, who are also using community radio for discovery. I mean, there was one really interesting insight from a, an audience member of that panel who said, look, when I'm studying and I just want to have something on in the background to, to keep my mind ticking over, um, I'll put on something on Spotify, like a playlist or something like that. But when I really want to enter a world of discovery, it's going to be community radio that I turn to to discover something mm. new. And, and you know, for, for that kind of programming that you can't really get anywhere else, it's very individual. Right, right. Well, we're recording this interview on, well, for you, it would, but it would have been yesterday, but today, I believe, World Listening Day, which I'll be honest, I wasn't aware of until you brought it to my attention just the other day. But uh, you broke from your regular schedule of releases to put out four new works to mark uh, this special day. And, and, and I couldn't think of a more appropriate day for long-form additions to be contributing to something, too. Um, but for those unfamiliar, could you explain some of the ideas behind and, and people involved in, in, in establishing this World Listening Day? Uh, with regards to World Listening Day, we just thought it was a, a really great thing for us to, to tie in with. We don't know a lot about World Listening Day ourselves. We just know that it's there and it's essentially about taking time to listen. That's what our project is about. And we also just wanted to release four pieces, not only just to mark World Listening Day, but to also pay acknowledgement to the people who subscribe to long-form editions because they're the ones that are kind of keeping us rolling um, and uh, they're, you know, keeping this series afloat. So we just wanted to offer them something more because we can't offer in a typical band's camp subscription, we can't offer extra music or exclusive music or outtakes or anything like that. So mm-hmm. we just wanted to we just wanted to basically um, create something new and, and keep it going and World Listening Day was was a really great way to tie that in. Sure, sure. Well, this new batch includes pieces from Sana Ra and working with a collaborator named Mitchell Brown. You already mentioned Laura Luna Castillo, Frank Brett Schneider, and then Allison Cotton. Again, a nice mixture of like, you know, established artists and very new, completely new to me artists here in this new mix. And is that kind of when you think about these cycles that you're putting stuff out, do you kind of like to have that that balance of new and, and I guess more recognizable names? Yeah, definitely. I mean, we want people to be interested. And what we really want to do is make sure that everybody taking part has the chance to be heard as much as possible. So I kind of feel the reality is, unfortunately, if you put four 
absolute unknowns together in a set, then people may not pick up on it. But if if you have somebody that people know of and trust and are familiar with, it's that reliability thing coming in once again. It's like, I, I know that artist. I'm going to be really interested to hear what they have. And hopefully that will lead to them trying on someone else. So sure. yeah. that's that's kind of how we're, we're looking at it at the moment. Um, we think it... it we, we think a rising tide lifts all boats, basically. So if we can get that going with each set, we're really happy. Mm-hmm. Well, can you speak to any other things you have in the works? I mean, I, like it sounds like you have a lot happening behind the scenes, but uh, just to kind of wrap things up here, anything else that you can mention? Well, we're, 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 we're on a bit of a roll at the moment because, because of this um, break in our traditional release cycle. We're going to have another one out in August, and mm. that's going to be really interesting. I think um, I could probably reveal to you exclusively, David, that uh, <laughs> we're going to have. I can definitely say we're going to have a piece from Pan American, mm. who uh, is more, uh, who's become more active um, in recent years, and um, he's got a piece for us. And the the Bitch and Bayards have. Oh, uh, nice. Yeah. Uh, given us a piece as well and we're going to have a, a couple others as well that we're just tying up now but um yeah look we, we're going to be back to our two-month um cycle soon and we're also going to have some new artwork and we're just going to look at ways that we can we can get this music out there um we're, we're not in any hurry we're just going to to keep doing what we're doing um and we're going to look at ways that we could grow it potentially as well um, we've got some ideas there, and we're just gonna we're just gonna see how things move along, and you know, as long as we have those submissions and interest, we'll we'll keep it going. Awesome, awesome. Well, thank you so much, Andrew, for your time. I really do appreciate it. Oh, thank you, David. I really appreciate it. Yeah, and let's get into the last block of music here. Let's start with something from this brand new stuff. This is the piece "Fluid Awry," and this is from Sonora and Mitchell Brown.
that's going to bring things to an end for this installment of the show. I want to thank Andrew once again for taking the time to speak with me this week. If you'd like to find out the complete playlist for this show, you can go to our website at freeformfreakout.com. There are links that you can follow to bring you to each of the releases played from Longform Editions, where you can purchase and download a copy. I'd encourage you to browse through, check out all the titles that Longform Editions has available. If you have any questions or comments, you can always get in touch with me at fffreakout at hotmail.com. Check back in a couple of weeks for a new episode. And as always, thanks so much for listening. And we'll let Primitive Motion carry us out to the end of the show here.
Woo! <laughs>